and all of that, you know, we ultimately, we rest that protection upon the Lord. If the Lord doesn't build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. If they that guard the city, the Lord doesn't guard it. They that guard it, guard it in vain. So uh, we're going to entrust that to, to him, and that's why we ask for prayer. Amen? And uh, praying over that. And uh, we can add, if y'all would put on there too, Stephanie and I have been scheduled for a bit to go to Strasburg, Virginia in October for a, uh, they're calling it a, a marriage tune-up. Yeah, so, but but just appreciate y'all praying for us as we fine-tune exactly what to say. We want to be able to plant the right things in that little bit of time. We got a lot to be able to give away, but you can't give it all away at one time. And um, so we have to fine tune that and what God wants for them at that moment. But looking forward to meeting some new people. All right. Anybody have anything you want to share, give away in our time, in your time of indulging yourself in the nest, being fed mouth to mouth by the Lord yourself. Uh, is there anything you want to talk about, give away, anything you learned, anything you want to just share? We're up to what, chapter 46? We've talked about 45. It's a short chapter. We kind of covered it uh, already out of chapter 36. 36 and 45 kind of go hand in hand. We've already mentioned that Jeremiah does not flow chronologically. Now you can kind of piece things together of time frames, but he always prefaces it with what king was on the throne, like chapter 46. It tells us in that fourth year that he receives this, and but it's like an appendix. If you want to say what 46 to 51 is like an appendix to the book, because it takes us back to the front part of the book, in a time frame that we've already went over and covered. And the reason we, we, I would call it, I don't know if anybody else would say that, I'm just using it. You know, when you write books and books are written and there's appendixes, it's saying this is something important to t- explain or to give some insight on what was happening and what was happening that he had a word for these 10 nations, these 10 nations that God was going to do something with and the first nation he deals with is Egypt. But he tells us it was in the days of Nico. So that brings us back. Nico is the king that Josiah went out and encountered. He died on the battlefield, a battlefield he shouldn't have been on because God told him he wasn't going to have to fight. Well, a couple of years after that, Nico fights with the Babylonians at Carchemish. And the Babylonians overwhelm the Egyptians and they come under subject to them along with everybody else. Why? Because we've been reading in Jeremiah where God says that he's elevated Nebuchadnezzar and he's given all the land and all the beasts to him. So there was nobody going to stand before him. So this prophetic word in, in chapters 46 to 51 are prophecies about nations about the nations, the Gentiles. And there's 10, if I ain't mistaken, I could be wrong on this, but we'll look at, I think it's 10 specifically that he deals with and Egypt being the first one, but it actually predates the things that we've wrapped up with already of moving into the time frame of Zedekiah 
who was the replacement for his uh, nephew, Coniah, who Nebuchadnezzar took away to Babylon. Well, what also we've already made it up to when everybody was taken away, minus the ones that were left. And remember Gedaliah, that governor that Nebuchadnezzar had placed in authority for a little bit, and they had him killed. He was killed, and then they went off into Egypt. So all that's that's already that's that that has happened. But prior to all that happening, Jeremiah got a word for these ten nations. And and it went beyond just that particular time frame. These these have a, a great scope with it. The big question would be did these nations even receive this prophecy? Did somebody take this like a ambassador or a runner, a herald, and carry this message to Nico and the army of Nico and the Babylonians or the Egyptians or Philistine or Moab or Ammon did somebody literally take what Jeremiah had, put it in their hand, and go tell them when this took place or what was going to happen to them? That's the big question. The big question we really don't know. Most likely, most likely, like we've already, remember when God had a word for Sennacherib? And God had a word for this king, and God had a word for that king? Those words about them were not necessarily directed to them, they were more to his people about what he was going to do to them. So when it happened, they could look at it through the lens of heaven and say, yeah, God said this is going to happen just the way he said it was going to happen. So the word is more for God's people, even though it's about somebody that's not even intimately connected with them. So same way we've got a lot, we know a lot about the world and what's going to happen to the world that those in the world will never even hear nor know what's going to happen to them. But even though it's speaking about them and speaking to them, it's really speaking to us so that we'll know what's going to happen to them. And I think this is the case that we see in chapters 46 to 51. Yes, it's telling us the inside thoughts of the Egyptians that they thought they were really something and that they were rising up in power like a flood. And you know how a flood, we're watching floods happen right now. What does a flood do? Destroys. Ain't nothing stops it, right? right? It doesn't matter what it is. It's not going to stop it. Once the dam or the levees broke and the river rises, you've seen what happened up in the northeast. On, yeah. They lost more lives up there by double than happened down here. In the, in the most severe winds and trouble of Ida and all the flooding that happened there because of the problems up north. Those floods, there's nothing going to stop it. When it starts rolling, that water is going to take out whatever's in its way. Yeah. That's the image. Egypt, under Nico's rule, then they kill the king of Judah. And they go in to help the Assyrians against the Babylonians. They rising up like a flood. And in their mind, there ain't nothing in the world going to stop us. What they didn't know was God was elevating another man. Amen. The Babylonian king called Nebuchadnezzar. He's coming in like a flood. And there's nothing going to stop him. So 
these prophetic words help us see that God sees inside the heart and the intent of men. Go to Isaiah 10. Let's parallel Isaiah 10. And, and does anybody have any questions on this? Anything you want to share about it? Isaiah 10, we see something very similar. God often gives us a word about a thing or about a person, about something that that person or that something may not actually ever get this word. But it is to have an effect on us. It's to stir within us. He goes on to say, looking in verse number five, verse number five, of course, verse one through four is all about the fact that God sees these wicked lawmakers who decree laws that are against people and only oppress them and harm them. So what you see going on in the powers that be, God sees it too. Amen. And he knows what they're doing. He knows what they've done. He knows what he's going to do, even though they don't know, even though they don't acknowledge. You know, you've heard it before. God has no place in the Senate or God has no place in Congress. You know, when people stand up and want to want to read a scripture and then they'll stand and say, leave that out of here. Let's deal with the matter at hand. Look, well, let's just read verse one while we're here. He says, woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees. And what is a decree? That's a law. So we're talking about what? People who have the authority to write laws. Lawmakers, government, however you look at it, state, national, worldwide. All these governments throughout the years have been structured a little bit different. But nonetheless, there's always been somebody in power, somebody in authority, somebody who wrote Laws that people delegated that authority to. Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write, who pen misfortune, which they have prescribed for everybody so that they could rob the needy of justice and take what is right from the poor of my people. God sees it. Just like God sees all these rulers around the world, just like God gives nations to other nations or he gives lands to other people, he says, I see it. And he always deals with injustices. You can, you, no matter how you look at it, any injustice will be dealt with by God at some point in time. It sounds like it, huh? You know, uh, you see it across the board. Greg and I were talking about it. I had seen it myself. We talked about it. Didn't mention it here, but, you know, that law out in Texas that they wrote recently around the abortion deal, which is doing everything they can to protect the womb. People are calling it unconstitutional. Even the president said that it was un-American. Un-American. He said it. I heard him with his own. I heard him. I pointed out to Stephanie. Greg heard it as well. He said it was un-American. To, to, but this, see, this is why. Well, one, we're dealing with people who don't factor God into the equation, no matter how you look at it as a way of life. Number two, 
There's laws that have been written to protect women over protecting the womb. Well, people are doing what they can and they know, and I believe the, the country knows that there's been, uh, there's been, there's been people who have strategically have been chipping away at that Roe versus Wade. It's coming. They've been chipping away at it in different ways. They've been, they've been doing what they can to chip away at that ruling, that law, that written decree to get it, to, to, to do something about it. Well, that's why he would say that it was on American because in his eyes, American, what would be American is giving the women right to do what they want and not protecting uh, that that sacred womb that we believe that God gives life. Well, these are these ideas from that perspective, from a, a, a wicked intent to take advantage of widows and rob the fatherless. Who are the widows and the fatherless? But they can't defend themselves is the idea, right? The widow, what, what she can, can, can she go hire somebody to defend her? Or the fatherless, the orphans. That's why the scriptures in the New Testament says pure and undefiled religion is serving those that can't serve you back, can't do anything for you. They can't put money in your hands. You don't serve them because you're going to get something from them. You serve them because you want to serve them. It's the right thing to do. So the idea of protecting them is no different than protecting the womb. You're protecting that which can't protect itself. Are you with me? So we're dealing with the same mindset here. So God sees that. Verse 5, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. So that's saying Assyria was used as God's wrath and God to deliver his vindication upon Israel and upon Judah. He said, I will send him against the ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Yet he does not mean so, nor does he his heart think so. That is, he ain't in agreement with what God's going to use him for. He don't see it the same way. Wasn't, wasn't his idea. He had a whole other agenda in what he was doing, but he didn't know it was God who elevated him to this place to use him in that kind of way. So when the scriptures give us this indication, and there's other times it says that God speaks to a word directly in the sense to them, but I don't know if he ever got that word. Who's the word for? Those that what? Belong to the Lord. The word of God is only profitable for us that belong to him. Amen. That's who it's for. Amen. Even when it's a, a bad deal for somebody else, the profit is toward us because we see the hand of God in it. So nobody can take credit for it. Not that people won't take credit for what, because like Assyria is going to take credit for everything they did. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar is going to take credit for everything he just done to Jerusalem, doesn't he? Isn't that why God humbled him? He's going to take credit for it. Men are going to take credit for it. But see, for the believer, on the other hand, he don't want to give credit to the enemy. He don't want to give credit to anybody else. Why? 
He wants to give glory to God because this was God's doings that Nebuchadnezzar did what he did. This was God's doing that he uses Sennacherib and the Assyrians. And only the believer that has this insight of what God was doing, not only the way the king thought, but how God was going to use this, we get to see it from the perspective of heaven. This is where we get to see things that the world can't see. Because God reveals that to us, even though he was speaking about another person, we can get insight. Same way with Jeremiah 46 and 47 and 48 and 49 and 50 and 51. We get to see the inner workings of how nations think, the inner workings of what God's going to do, the inner workings of how they're going to come down. And the people that bring them down are going to take credit for bringing them down. But the reason they come down is because God was done using them. And we get to see all that. We get to see it. When it says that these mighty men of Egypt who would have stood and fought to the death, why they turn and run? Because God was doing something. That's why their hearts melted within them. We're going to see where God says, I'm going to give those men hearts of women that they're going to flee from the battlefield and run and hide as if it was a frail woman out there trying to fight against a known warrior. What is she going to do? She's going to take cover and hide. Well, this is what these valiant, mighty warriors who were willing to die and have fought in battle upon battle, there comes a point when God gets involved in this from that perspective that these men turn and run and flee. Why? Because of God. Not because of the fierceness of the Babylonians or not because of the fierceness of another nation, but because of God. And we give credit to him and glory to him and not to the armies of Babylon, not to the armies of Egypt, but you got to give glory to God. That's why this stuff is written for us to be able to see. And then when it all comes to pass, And it came to pass just like how God prophetically said it would. Anybody in right relationship with him would say, let God be true and let every man be a liar. God said it would be just the way it happened. And it's going to be just the way he said it's going to happen. Now, we want to know what's going to happen from God's perspective. So when it does, we can't help but praise him for it. Amen? Amen. So go back to chapter number 46. Look what he says in about verse number, I'm just going to start reading in verse number 13. The word of the Lord, the word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, the prophet, how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would come and strike the land of Egypt. Declare in Egypt and proclaim in Migdal, which Migdal is on the northeast border, you know how in the scriptures the Bible would refer from Dan to Beersheba? Why does he say that, Brother Shannon? Top and the he's saying the whole land from top to bottom. Well, he's fixing to do the same thing with Egypt. He's going to use words. He's going to use places that are, that are central figures. One's in the northeast. One's in the lower part. One's on the uh, northeastern border. He's just saying as a whole, it's all covered. So Migdal proclaiming Noph, which is Memphis, uh, near Cairo, and then Taphanes. These are places where what? Remember when the people of Jerusalem fled? Yeah. 
They went to these places and took refuge under their wings. So verse 14 is going to say, stand fast and prepare yourselves for the sword devours all around you. It's coming. Verse 15, why are your valiant men swept away? The word valiant means somebody dangerous. These were not your run-of-mill type guys who just been enlisted off of the streets of America and put over in a situation at 17, 18, 19 years old. These are valiant, well-trained fighters who've been fighting all their life. Why are your valiant men swept away? They did not stand. Why? Because the Lord did what? This is 46, 15. What did he do? Because the Lord drove them away. He made many fall. Yes, one fell upon the other, which is another way of describing. Look in verse 12. The nations have heard of your shame and your cry has filled the land for the mighty man has stumbled against the mighty. They both have what? Fallen. So that's saying that they've fallen together and stumbled over one another is that they became a hurt to one another in their fleeing from this battle. Instead of standing their ground and fighting, they turn and run and then they run and collide with one another and damage and hurt each other, these valiant men trying to escape. Why? Because the Lord drove them away. They had no vitality. See, God can change the heart of men. We live in a society that says God would never do that. Amen. They just don't know the word, do they? They ain't never read it. Amen. I know preachers that will do whatever they could to cut my throat and destroy me in preaching because I believe that we serve a sovereign God that can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants, however he wants. And he can entirely change the heart of man or use a man and the man not even know he's being used. And they don't like when you tell them, when you tell people, they say, no, God is a gentleman. He would never force his will upon anybody. But right here tells us men who went to fight. All of a sudden, their hearts melt within them. And when they flee and run, before it ever happens, God says it's going to happen. And when you see it happen, you know why it happened. Because I drove them away. I made many fall. I made them kill themselves among themselves when they fled. So it goes back to that again. Can God change the nature and the heart of a man? Whenever he wants, right? Whenever Can he change a king, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the earth? Can he give him a mind like a beast? He, did. he sure did. So we go back to uh, this again and again, and we're going to see this is what this message is about and why it applies to the nation of Israel or God's people more than any. Look what verse number 27 says. I think this is the key. He's saying what's going to happen, what he's going to do with them, what's going to happen with this. And each one of these nations, their men become frail. He changes them. 
to flee Verse 27 says, I want to remind you in the midst of it, which we've already studied in chapter 30. 27 says, but do not fear, O my servant Jacob, and do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will do what? I will save thee, I will deliver thee. We're talking about a nation now. And your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have rest and be at ease. No one shall make him afraid. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, says the Lord, for I am with you, for I will make a complete end of all the nations to which I have driven you, but I will not make a complete end of you. I will rightly correct you, for I will not leave you wholly unpunished. So you see, the message was to who? To God's people. So that when they seen these nations fall around them, they would know who was behind it. And that they would cling to the promise that what God said was that even though he made an utter end of all these other nations in the world, he was not going to be finished with them. He was going to draw them back and bring them back to the land. So even though this message is about Egypt, this message is to his people. So that they can rest assured, no matter what you see, you can count on God's going to fulfill his promise. And his promise is he is going to bring his people back to Jerusalem. And he's going to raise Jerusalem up again one day. When all these nations are not, they will always be. It's coming. So we can, we can cling to that. And even today, because all this is not fulfilled, right? Amen. Is God's people still spread out around the world? They sure are. Are there still nations that have God's people in them? Yeah. Have they been brought to a complete end yet? No. So we know we're dealing with something far reaching than what Jeremiah was telling them even in that day. He's talking to you and me today that we can take God at his word. We can take him at his word. He's going to do this exactly the way he said he was going to do it. And it's extremely important for us to... Uh, heed his message and then go forth and warn these nations and these people of what is still yet to come and that God has one solution for the entire world and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we go preach Jesus to people. And when we do that, God says, I'll take a hold of those Gentiles and I'm going to change them. I'm going to change them. And they're going to see that all they've been doing all their life was worthless and empty and vain and they're going to give themselves unto me and they're going to serve me and then they're going to go tell the world all about me and what I've done for them and that branch of David, that root of Jesse, who is Jesus, who we know who he is. Amen? Amen. So uh, if you work back, anybody got anything? Anything you want to? Forty-five. We've done got into forty-five quite a bit. Yep. I've shared a couple messages over the last several days about Baruch out of forty-five. Remember, you tie it back to thirty-six. It was in thirty-six when Jeremiah called him along inside him and said, "Look, I need you to pin these things, and then I need you to go tell the people I can't get in there. They don't ban me, but you can go." 
And you can go declare these words. And what did Baruch say? Oh, Lord, my life's over with. I'm a done deal. And God in his compassion came to him and said, look, Baruch, don't, don't try to achieve great things. Unless that great thing is what I've given you to do. If I've given you to do it, I'm going to give you a prize. And that prize is going to be your life. But don't set up false expectations for yourself. I got a purpose for you. And I'm going to use you. All those other things you thought about in life, all those other things, just set them aside. Deny yourself. Take this, what I give you, your assignment, your cross, and come walk with me. Come follow with me. And you, your, your life will be a prize to you. But if you pursue your own thing, one, it's not going to come to pass. And number two, you're going to live a miserable life. God be far from you. That's right. You don't want to live that kind of living. You come and delight yourself in the Lord. He'll, he'll, your desires will become his desires. And uh, you'll, you'll find great delight in this old uh, work that I've given you to do. So you don't want to be, we don't want to be like those people who uh, cause dreams to come to pass. You know, that's what was happening with these others. Remember what they told them in chapter 44? Look in 44. What a, what a depressing word from these folks in 44. Did y'all see that? Yeah. yeah. What did they tell Jeremiah? They told Jeremiah they lived a whole lot better life before he showed up. Right? They said, Jeremiah, look, when we worshiped to the queen of heaven, when we celebrated her and gave our cakes to her, man, we had fun with life. We had plenty to eat. We had no trouble. And that's what we're going back to that. We saw no evil. We saw no evil. We had no trouble. But as soon as you showed up and started telling us how to live, all we've had is trouble ever since. This is, this is what was happening. Remember he told them? I picked this up this morning. I got to thinking about this. Remember when God, they came to Jeremiah and they said, Jeremiah, just tell us whatever God says, we'll do it. Knowing they wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Deuteronomy, a few weeks back we looked at Deuteronomy. God gave them his ways and the people said, we'll do it. And God said, oh, I wish they had a heart to really do it. I know what they're saying. I hear them. But they, they don't want to. They're not going to want to do this. I know that. Same way with here. They said, Jeremiah, tell us what, we, what God tells us. And as soon as he told them, what did the people say? You've been listening to Baruch. Old Baruch knew his life was in trouble, huh? Yeah. He said, you've been listening to old Baruch. And no, no, no. We go into Egypt. Jeremiah said, don't go to Egypt. We go into Egypt. You got to ask the question, though. Is there a difference between them going to Egypt when God told them not to go to Egypt? Is there a difference between that and God telling us not to forsake ourselves from assembling ourselves together and people not assembling themselves together? Is there any difference? They're both what? Disobedience. What it boils down to. 
Think about it. Jeremiah gave him a four stern warning. Don't go. God says that he will bless you and start over right here. He'll build you up right here. You stay here. And they said, no, we're we going. We got to go get under that covering. And they took off. And then God tells us today, I don't want you to forsake gathering with yourselves. You got to remember, how, how did they gather in New Testament teachings? Book of Acts. What did it say they gathered? How, how often did they gather? They gathered what? They gathered every day. Broke bread every day with one another. Got under the teaching every day. And God was what? Adding to the disciples what? Every day. But as time went on, what did people start doing? They started forsaking gathering. So God sends another warning in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and said, Don't forsake the gathering as you see the day of the Lord approaching you gather even more to what? Stir up love and good works. Isn't that what he said? Amen. Look, look, just go look at it. Hebrews 10. We're going to be in Hebrews next month, but let's just go look at it. The point I'm making in this is that oftentimes we can read something like that in, in Jeremiah. God warning them not to go. They go. And then God warning us to come, but don't come. You, you, you get with me, they're both the same. They're just blatant disobedience. Or God telling us to go in our going, go make disciples, but we don't go make disciples. Amen. That's the same thing, right? Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. I'm going to read verse 24, and he said, And let us consider. See, this is the important thing. We don't just gather to show up and say, okay, I'm here, bless me. I think sometimes that happens. We go to places and people invite somebody to come and they keep inviting them to come and they finally show up and they come. Brother Shannon, they get on the pew and they like this. They say, all right, I'm here. Y'all bless me now. Now, we never, we never come, to, uh, come to get blessed. We always come to do what? Pour into others, to be a blessing to others. And that's what he says here. Let us... What? Consider, let us consider one another for what reason? To stir up love and good works. That's saying I'm coming to be a blessing to you to help you fall more and more in love with you. Remember we talked about that Sunday? We've got to have a what? A growing love? That's growing in what? Knowledge and judgment or discernment. Stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the custom or the manner. Some done made it a custom. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see what? The day. So as we get closer to the coming of the Lord, we are to be even more diligent to be considerate of our brethren. Considerate to help them grow. And consider it to stir them up to go do what God's called them to do. Uh, to stay away from Egypt, but go bring the word to those that are perishing in their, in their sins. Amen? Amen? Remember, what is the mission of church? Reach people for Jesus. Teach people about Jesus. Equip people to serve Jesus. And mobilize people to go for Jesus. So... 
here, here this is, it's the same, the same thing. So when they took off and went to Egypt, it cost them. And you know, it costs us when we disobey, whether we go to Egypt or we stay away from the brother. And either way, Amen. it costs. Amen. Amen. It costs. For an example, how many of y'all been on something at 12 lately? Yeah, how many of y'all been on that road? Beat you up, huh? Will it beat you up even in a truck, huh? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I can keep taking my poor little Honda down there. It ain't made for that. That that road is rougher than off roads. Are you with me? Yeah. That old road's abused and beat up with log trucks and there's potholes everywhere and all that. The problem is it's not properly maintained. It gets used a lot. It's just not properly maintained. And you see, gathering together and considering one another is how we help one another maintain Amen. in the kingdom, in the work. You're going to get abused out in this old world we live in. That's why Jesus said, let me bring, come here, Peter. I got to wash your feet. I know you're clean. You done took a bath. You're, you're clean, but your feet are dirty. Yeah. Why are your feet dirty? Because you've been walking out on that old dirty road out there. You've been work, walking in this old dirty world. You got to have them feet washed, which is a picture of being washed with the water to be sanctified to keep away from the evil one. But if, if I'm disobeying God, just like they disobeyed and went to Egypt, but disobeying and not getting together consistently, practically with, with God's people on a consistent basis so that my feet can be washed by the Lord, by the Lord's people, I'm going to be just like old something or 12. I'm going to be rode hard and tore all up and not properly maintained. The lack of maintenance on it potholes everywhere and you just look around in people's lives man they just they're a mess oh, yeah. they're a mess they turmoil have, they have no direction they, right the people out there now i talked to talked to them two or three years ago and they they had a fair direction to go what they were going you just seen them now, go far so far away they, it's crazy now you know that saying? The circumstances of our society has overwhelmed them. Yeah. But because they haven't been properly maintained, the potholes are just getting bigger and the difficulty of traveling over that right away is getting more and more difficult. Amen. That's why you see it now. Yeah. Just not maintain but they figured they got it they know better right isn't that what the people that went to egypt they they knew better than what jeremiah knew or what the lord knew they knew better they had it figured out they didn't need it a lot of these people are just in a rut they can't see out of it ruts happen because they ain't been maintained right when you get a rut on your road to the back what do you do greg when you get a bad rut and you rode back here going to the to the camp house or the green leaf field, what do you do? You got to fill it in with some more dirt. Got to fix it. Got to fix it. Or it's going to become where you can't pass over it in a car or a truck or something like that. Like you're saying, just like your vehicle, all my machinery and stuff. If you don't maintain it, you know, the 
Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yes. Anything and everything worth anything has to have maintenance on it on a regular basis. Amen. Me more than anybody. If you use it, it's going to break. Yeah. Something's going to break. Yeah. If you're not breaking nothing, you ain't doing it. You're going to mess something up. Yeah. You can just, it. yeah. Story, yeah. Normal daily use. If you use it, it's going to break. Right. But then you, make, you fix it. Yeah. Mess up. up. But our mess ups don't have to mess us up. That's right. Yeah. You see, but that blatant disobedience, say, I'm going to Egypt whether God likes it or not, that's a mess up that messes you up. Can't recover from that. He told you up front if you did. You see, and that's what's happening with people all over. Everywhere you go, everything you see, everything you read, is that that people are just said, I don't need it no more. I don't need to gather. I'm better off if I don't gather. Isn't that what they told Jeremiah? Yeah. I'm better off doing it my way than God's way. So I'm going to do it my way, which is just rep- this manifestation of foolishness is what it boils down to. So we just have to be cautious of that ourselves in our own journey. But then we want to be a tool that God can help other people. Because remember what God said, if they walked in my counsel, walked with me, they would help turn people from that and get them back to where they need to be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. So we want to be those instruments that God uses to help turn people back to him. Yes. I mean, you can go through oh, a book yeah. and not, you'll miss some stuff. Yeah. You and you go back to it, you're going to pick up Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just like a yeah. movie or whatever. That's right. Like you pick up on different things. Right. Yeah. I mean, it'll be stuff that you just like. Yeah. It's so rich. It's so rich. We have told you Jeremiah is such a large volume of truths being taught that are all applied in the New Testament. I mean, Jeremiah is quoted and brought up by Jesus and Hebrews and all through the New Testament in the New Covenant is taught. So it's hard for me to fathom how somebody could know anything about the New Testament but not know anything about Jeremiah, you know, as far as long term. Now, I can understand somebody young, new, but anybody that's been around for a while and teaching. How many references did Jesus use about the Old Testament? That's what he, that's what he had. That's all he had at the time, as far as Bible, you know. But he could look forward. But but it was just he used it because this is what was going to feed the people of the day. Mm-hmm. They were going to be fed because they they had supposedly learned about the Old Testament mm-hmm. and knew what he was talking about. I remember so well the Sunday that Bill Briggs. And he had heard, and I think I'm right with the name, Andy Stanton, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. say that he Told people to stay away from the Old Testament. Right. Yeah. And he was so mad. Yeah, fired him up. Fired me up, up too. Yeah. So mad. And then he also said stay away from smaller churches too. Yeah. Anybody that brings the kids to smaller churches is self-centered. Yeah. Yeah. Sure well, did. Five, it says, Woe unto those that desire the day of the Lord. 
with you and I talked about mm-hmm. that recently. Yeah. It's like a man that runs away from a bear, gets in his house, and the serpent bites him. Yeah. It's, it is, we need to know how desperate this day is coming and coming quickly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. The idea is that the Lord and the Spirit and the bride say, Come, Lord Jesus. And saying we put it in God's hands, but there's still people that are not ready for that coming. Amen. You still got family members that are not ready for that yeah. coming. And he's saying, Woe to the man who says, Hasten for the day of the Lord. He don't know what he's asking for. He's like a man who's got a bear chasing him and he gets away from the bear, but as soon as he steps in his house, a pit viper bites him and kills him. You're running from one thing into death. And he says, you, 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 you're speaking out of turn. You don't know what you're talking about. It's the, that's why it's a woe person, upon it. That yeah. person has darkness in him and no light. Yeah. So we, we've talked about all these things and, and just go in tune with what has already been said. I've been with pastors who've been in ministry for longer than I have that when I go to explaining some things about the Older Testament, and then his people or their people come and surround and say, man, we want to talk about this. This has got us so intrigued. And he's standing right here. And then I share a story about other people not being in the Older Testament or using like the book of Deuteronomy. He says, I got to admit, I've never preached out of Deuteronomy. I've never, and Deuteronomy is a preacher's book. You know, that's hard to fathom for me. But that does happen, and if the preachers and teachers are not teaching on it and not encouraging people to get in it, that's why you have, I believe that's why there's so much messed up thinking in America on who God is because they only know who God is from what people told them who God is, and these people that tell them who he is have never really known who he is or how he's unveiled himself in the whole counsel of God's word. And that can't help but set you up for a failure because you have some knowledge, but that knowledge is very kind of like limited, you know. Kind of like, the, you know, it's sad, but the way I'm seeing, you know, so, so many in this country, you know, they go to church and stuff, but it's the old saying is, you know just enough about that to get you killed. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, things, yeah. You know Thank just you. enough to get you. Yeah, you know how to pull the trigger on a gun, but you don't realize you can't have it pointing at you or anybody else, you know. Just enough to get you killed. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I'm sad that America, they know just enough about God to send them to hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. There's an old saying, why do they give vaccines to inoculate people of a, of a disease so they don't catch it? And there's enough people that's got enough inoculation of, of information that they don't never really catch the gospel of who Jesus is. And um, we just got to recognize there's a lot of darkness out there. And some people's light is dark. And that's why we want to be used to go help. Go help and share truth with them. Thank you, Jesus. We ask you to help us with these ourselves. We uh, long to walk intimately with you, to know you, so that we can have fellowship with eternal life is knowing you father and your son so lord i pray that we can go and and share that eternal life that we 
No. We know we can't give away what we don't have. And we love talking about things that we have a good grasp on. So, Lord, we, we want to, uh, as much as we do know, we also realize there's so much we don't know. But what we don't know, we're asking you to fill it up so that we can go help other people see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love y'all. Y'all have a good night. Lord willing, that's the plan. Lord willing.